Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, WAG listeners, it's Allison, reminding you that this show cannot be made without you. If you've been thinking about becoming a Candleland supporter, we're having a pretty great sale right now. You'll get premium ad-free feeds of all Canada Land shows, discounts on merch from our store, and exclusive bonus episodes from some of our podcasts. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to become a Canada Land supporter. So from now until the end of May, we have a special offer for our listeners. For $2 a month, you can become a supporter and do your part to ensure we can continue making this show. And we really like making this show for you. Basically, nothing costs $2 anymore. You could, like, get a bag of candy, a locker at a public swimming pool. I've been honestly trying to think of something that cheap, and I'm not getting far. So sign up for just $2 a month for the next six months. Just go to canadaland.com join, or click the link in your show notes to become a supporter today. Hi there. We are back after a too-long absence, and before we begin, we want to talk about that. Wag the Dog, of course, is a podcast that does not a whole lot more than hold Doug Ford to account. Uh, that means it's not necessarily the most financially sustainable show. Unlike Canada Land's other series, we're never going to have a national audience. Our listenership is 99.9999% limited to Ontario. And only those Ontarians who recognize how badly we need to keep a dedicated eye on Doug Ford are likely to take an interest. That makes it hard to sell ads, which makes it hard to do this show very often. But today we have a solution for that. We'd like to make the show more frequently. We're considering going from monthly to bi-weekly. And we can't do that based on advertising alone. The ad model of podcasting in Canada, and certainly the ad model of podcasting to a strictly Ontario audience, it's not going to support that. There just aren't enough of you. But a small audience could easily fund a bi-weekly or even weekly Wag the Doug if enough of you just give us five bucks a month. Even five to ten percent of you, actually. Our first goal is pretty modest. If just 300 of you subscribe, we'll have enough of a budget to move to a bi-weekly schedule. All you have to do is click the link in the show notes or go to wagthedug.com. You'll be directly funding twice as much Wag the Dug, and we'll automatically put an ad-free feed of the show on your podcatcher app. And we'll also put some bonus stuff out there, too. We're thinking about an Ask Us Anything about Doug Ford episode, where we'll answer all your most pressing, obscure, or embarrassing questions about Doug Ford. And this could all be a whole new thing for Candleland, by the way, and for podcasting. Until now, you had to reach masses to make things sustainable. But if small audiences pitch in to fuel the shows they like, there might be a more viable model for regional podcasts. I mean, I, for one, would 
love to know what's going on in Quebec. And if I had the emotional energy, I'm sure I would be enlightened by what's going on in Alberta. But frankly, I, I don't. It's exciting. And you're the guinea pigs. By which we take Bean as a compliment because guinea pigs are wonderful. And here's what they sound like. So do it. Support this podcast. Click on the link on the show notes or head on over to wagthedug.com. Thank you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. It's been a while since we recorded one of these. Five months, in fact. Did we miss anything, Jonathan? No, nothing at all. Not that I can think of. Uh, we've neither seen nor heard from Premier Doug Ford over the last five months, nor have any massive societal upheavals or reckonings taken place. And the exact number of people alive as of our March 24th recording remain alive now. Unfortunately, that's not true. At least 2,800 Ontarians have died from COVID-19. Millions of people have lost their jobs. Thousands of people have taken to the streets to march against police brutality and the violence of systemic racism. And the provincial debt is poised to hit $38.5 billion this year, basically annihilating the PCs and Doug Ford's campaign promise to get rid of the deficit. And yet, or maybe, and so, Doug Ford is more popular than ever. When Ford first took office... You and I signed up to cover a very divisive, angry politician. Mm. And a lot of the time during the past two years, Ford was, he was exactly that. But in the midst of this global pandemic, it seems like Ontarians have finally warmed up to Doug Ford. The latest polling that I've seen from last week from campaign research puts Ford's PC party at 41% support among decided voters, catapulting them ahead of the Ontario Liberals who had been out polling the PCs uh, for quite some time as recently as, as January. And 61% of the province says they approve of Ford's handling of the pandemic. Uh, it's almost as if an alarming portion of the province's private long-term care homes weren't revealed as shit-smeared concentration camps for the elderly. But oh well, that was, that was May. I guess he's fixed it by now. We've tracked Doug Ford and his government pretty closely on this podcast, and... All the way through, he's been consistent in his Fordness. But while COVID-19 has clearly laid bare all the failures very much entrenched in Ontario's policies and systems, including the ones that his own government has exacerbated, there may be an argument that it's actually caused him to grow and change. I'm Alison Smith, publisher of Queen's Park Today and regular viewer of many a Doug Ford afternoon press conference. I'm Jonathan Goldsby, news editor at Canada Land and participant in many pre-premier Doug Ford press conferences. After two years of popping up sporadically, 
This is Wag the Doug, no longer a pop-up podcast about Doug Ford. Has the Ford government, in your view, shown Ontarians that it's turned over a new leaf? I think they've shown Ontarians that they have improved their communication strategies, that they can make good news announcements, like you said. But I don't think we've seen proof that Premier Doug Ford, you know, Douglas Robert Ford, has really changed as a politician in any real meaningful way. So that was not Allison speaking today from underneath the blanket in her makeshift home studio. That was from her appearance on TVO's The Agenda with Steve Pakin just after Labor Day of last year. Pakin kicked off the panel on that episode by asking all the panelists, has the Ford government, in your view, shown Ontarians that it's turned over a new leaf? You will remember, Jonathan, and I'm sure lots of our listeners will too, that last summer, Doug Ford uh, famously fired his embattled chief of staff, Dean French. Uh, and there was a big push from pundits and the media to sort of draw a narrative that we were in for a whole new Doug Ford that year. So it all reminds me of the sort of the similar sort of I don't know, unsupported hopefulness that was that is or was frequently espoused by U.S. mainstream pundits and sent up by the comedy writer Megan Amram, who for a little over three years tweeted out. Today was the day Donald Trump finally became president. Yeah, it's so interesting that that political people or just, you know, citizens in general find the need to craft this narrative and and, and try to think about politicians as, as being people that are going to substantially change in the way that they want them to all the time. I mean, it's funny insofar as it's such a, a boring narrative, in my opinion, that we just expect you know, the people that we elect to all of a sudden uh, totally pivot into being some sort of uh, perfect statesman that like arguably doesn't even exist. I have sympathy for the idea of positive reinforcement. I think, I mean, politicians like need, they crave and frequently live off of good and positive press. And so there is a certain logic to the idea that if you praise them for when they do well, oh, maybe they will do some more of that. They will pick up on that and continue with it and run with it. But, I mean, I, I've lost patience for that so long ago, um, especially with politicians like, well, I mean, like, like certainly like Donald Trump's an obvious thing, but even like, like, any, like any given Ford, where that optimism is usually not really based on anything and in fact has been shown to be a lie time and again. So last year, as I told Pakin, I was not convinced that Doug Ford had really changed. But I guess what we want to figure out on today's episode is like whether this time he has actually changed and it, it only took a pandemic. And if he hasn't changed, then why do so many Ontarians seem convinced otherwise? Before the pandemic, I mean, his approval rating was pretty low. Uh, but at the outset of the pandemic, his handling of the situation gave it a bit of a boost, which is kind of what you'd expect in that situation. I mean, seemingly because most casual and probably even most professional observers had never really seen him conduct himself with any sense of gravitas before. That new tone was taken as a reflection of some sort of evolution. Uh, he wasn't being pugnacious or pugilistic or 
maybe both or neither, uh, he was being serious enough. I mean, what the moment called for. It seemed appropriate enough for the moment, and by the low standards he had previously set for himself, and certainly in contrast to the brutal performance of the American president, to whom he's sometimes compared, this came across as an accomplishment. At a time when people were really looking for leadership, he was, at least in the most superficial and perhaps literal sense, showing up. And he's kind of managed to keep that up for... Was it five and a half months now? God, so many months. <laughs> but has he actually grown and learned as a politician and as a human being? And if so, well, I guess, what is it that he's learned? Has he just found a more effective way of selling the same destructive policies? So I would argue that the key reason that Ford is really staying popular right now is how his office has managed his daily news conferences. So every day... Since March, um, every business day at least, some Saturdays as well, Ford and a handful of ministers will socially distance around a podium and they'll deliver some sort of big announcement of the day. Well, good afternoon. Today, I'm ordering the mandatory closure of all non-essential workplaces in the province of Ontario. Yesterday, our government released Ontario's action plan in response to COVID-19. It's an unprecedented plan for an unprecedented time. In March, these actually were big announcements. That's when we were hearing like every business in the province or majority of them are about to close, things that Ontarians really needed to know. But as the pandemic has kind of trotted along, the the premier has been using these daily opportunities to speak to Ontarians to sometimes give like silly announcements that don't definitely don't need to be broadcast on like global CTV, CBC, and who knows where else. I've heard that some stations have like tried to stop um, or at least try to like shorten the amount of it they show. But then their viewers just like switch to another channel. Did their ratings measurement get that granular? It's like the demand is there to, to still for people want to see this guy every day. And the premier's office is obviously just taking real advantage of that. I mean, it's a dream situation for any politician, you know, getting your name and face and message out there broadcast widely every single day in a controlled environment in which the communication pretty much just goes one way. Uh, it's like basically an evolution of Ontario News Now, except not just, you know, on some shitty Twitter account and YouTube channel no one watches uh, or Facebook page where a few more people watch. It's on every fucking channel all of the time, or at least for a reliable period every afternoon. Yeah, I mean, the comparison to Ontario News Now is is interesting insofar as it is it's controlled, right? If you know our listeners might remember, that was the PC Caucus Bureau Services uh, kind of propaganda network where they had Ford, you know, trotting around the province and getting fake interviewed by a fake broadcaster, Lindsay Vanstone. For Ontario News Now, I'm Lindsay Vanstone. Enough criticism of that mode of communication finally came around and they kind of axed that. Although I would argue that Ford's summer tour that he's now on where he's stopping off at three or four different businesses or uh, pizzerias around the province every day doesn't seem all of that different. 
And the press conferences, like you said, kind of are not either because Ford gets this wide swath of time, basically as much time as he wants at the beginning of the news conference to chat about whatever the announcement of the day is, introduce rounds and rounds of people. Like they often include long speeches from like hospital CEOs or like random mayors. Um, then Ford, you know, calls them all all stars and champions and eventually takes some questions from the media that he, um, more often than not, like throws to his ministers to answer anyways and ends up getting to walk off like looking pretty good. And like he's been, you know, really transparent with Ontarians during these processes. But, you know, what's really going on behind the scenes, as reporters all know, is that the premier's office is choosing exactly which reporters get to ask questions. So you get to ask one question and one follow up. There's no opportunity to like shout more questions at him, ask really tough questions, you know, get all the reporters to work together and push the same question over and over again, which, you know, can be possible with a group of reporters like the Queen's Park Press Gallery. It's very limited and with no pushback in the moment, it just gives him the chance to say something quippy, smile it off, answer with a talking point and end up looking great. And there appears to be a trend. We'll go to the phone line for questions. First question. Comes from Haley Cooper from News Talk 1010. Please go ahead. Hi, Thank Haley. you. Hi, Premier. Hi. So we'll start on the phone. Just one question and one follow-up. Operator. Thank you. First question, Lucas Meyer, News Talk 1010. Please go ahead. Your line is open. First question comes from Lucas Meyer from News Talk 1010. Hi, Please Lucas. go ahead. Okay, first question. First question comes from Haley Cooper at News Talk 1010. Please go ahead. How are you doing, Haley? Thank you. Hi, Premier. <laughs> ah, News Talk 1010. Uh, without putting any shade onto any of their individual reporters, it's the broadcast outlet most closely linked to the Fords over the past decade, where then-Councillor Doug and Mayor Rob had a weekly show for almost two years, where Rob Ford sourced his fifth chief of staff, who now works in Doug Ford's office, where Doug Ford sourced his press secretary, who's now as executive director of branding, where Doug Ford's transportation minister sourced his press secretary, who's now the comms director for the natural resources minister, and where Rob's third chief of staff still hosts his own weekly show that overlaps with the Ford's old Sunday afternoon time slot. You know, it does seem like outlets that Ford especially likes to engage in. Like, I think we know pretty well that he listens to news talk. So that might be why he's favoring them. And of course, not they're not the only reporters getting questions. Other TV reporters get a bunch. Uh, the print outlets will get some. But the news talk seems to be the one that's like very consistently uh, getting questions off the top and getting questions every day. So, I mean, like, in theory, there's a limited amount of time for questions. They, like, cap it at, like, maybe five per day. So, I mean, who gets called and the order in which they get called turn out to be pretty important. But Ford's office has, to my knowledge, never explained uh, even sort of an ostensible logic behind how, you know, who they choose and how and in what order. Um, I mean, I've sent a couple emails just broadly asking, like, just give me give me your rationale for it. And, you know, they, they don't get back to me. Yeah, I think they've really shied away from uh, having to discuss that. And I'd also add how this structure of, of news conferences and teleconferences 
And, you know, the uncertainty, especially in Ontario around whether or not you're ever going to get to ask the premier a question has uh, like hampers the quality of questions that people are asking. I think there is, you know, a, a fear of asking too tough of a question or I think maybe even more so asking a question that's like incredibly off script from the type of questions he's been normally asked. Overall, the arc of it is very flat. Mm. Has the press gallery or pushback at that at all? Is this expected to change or resume in-person stuff in the near future when the legislature goes back in mid-September? I mean, I think there's a hope that it will, but nothing has been set in stone. I mean, the legislature was sitting all summer and Doug Ford was still doing it this way. They only accept questions over the phone line. Oh, and, and I didn't know that. They can't even attend uh, in-person events in person. Huh. I mean, I hope they'll change it, but I really don't see any appetite on their end, too, because like we said, it's it's making Fort look good. I mean, overall, what I think the public doesn't quite see or understand is that these like pandemic performances, while they appear transparent and it appears like Doug Ford is, you know, getting out there and taking questions and talking to the public constantly, there, it's really just theater and the actual ability for the press to hold the premier accountable is no, I would say no higher than it has been any other time in his premiership. Well, that's unfair to theater, which is a legitimate art form and one that I miss very much right now. <laughs> the, the way he approaches reporters, the way that he engages with them, maybe because of the medium of the phone or maybe for some other reason, that's that that that's also sort of changed recently, right? Yeah. I mean, I'd hate to say that he's like flirting with reporters. And this would not also, I'm not saying that he's flirting with female reporters. <laughs> if we use the word flirting, like perhaps as it's defined, I mean, I just looked up the definition of flirting and it says uh, trying to attract someone for amusement rather than serious intentions. And I feel like that does describe his like tone and manner and the stuff he's saying to reporters nowadays, which again, like can't hammer home enough is incredibly different than how he used to talk to the media. Here's him talking to Rob Ferguson from the Toronto Star last month. And by the way, Rob, I was looking for you yesterday down here. I handpicked five beautiful peaches off this tree for you. So I brought in the peaches. I don't know where the peaches went now. Maybe someone else in the, in the media got them. So I just want to mention that. Like, he might have actually picked him five peaches. There used to be, like, a vicious undercurrent when he would say things like that. Now it sounds like he's actually trying to be charming. Hi there, Premier. Uh, we're hearing from occasional teachers that are doing supply work. Uh, they're worried about doing that work in a pandemic and that it could put their health and job security at risk, especially if they're bouncing between schools. Does the province have any plans to mitigate that? Yeah. Well, folks, I just want to give a shout out to Lisa. Lisa asked about air conditioning. I have the right Lisa. Is that correct, Lisa? This is That's the air the conditioning. Right yeah, okay. Absolute champion, listening to the media, came up with a great idea. Lisa, you're the reason why that company donated that air conditioning. You're the reason why we're putting air conditioning throughout the whole province's long-term care. So first of all, thank you and kudos uh, to you. Thanks, Premier, and thanks for the shout-out, but I've got to say I'm a bit disappointed that, uh, you know, the bill's not going to be named after me like you promised. <laughs> oh, no, no, but there's no bill. So I found out, honestly, this is a story, Lisa, honest to God's truth. So I told our cabinet, I said, you know, 
we're making sure this bill is named after Lisa. And they said, there's no bill, it's just an order. So uh, the commander in chief, Dr. Fullerton here, she puts an order through that we have to get it done. But believe me, we got to put a plaque on every one of these air conditioning units with your name on it. Because you, you did an incredible job, so thank you. And, uh, but there is no bill, but there's another bill that comes up, I'll make sure we name it after you, Lisa. You played a critical role. I'm not even joking, I'm dead serious. You played a critical role. You have changed lives. We went through these heat spells. Just imagine sitting in these rooms when it's 100 degrees. I, I can't even imagine it. So you, you played a critical, critical role and I thank you. And I'm so sincere when I say thank you. Just keeps going. I did not expect it to be, I have actually not heard that clip before and I did not expect it to be that long. Wow. Yeah, this has been like a weird long running thing, like between uh, CBC's Lisa Shing and the premiere and kind of the weeks that led up to that. And it, it's all very odd um, and very not Fordian behavior yet again. I mean, basically, Lisa just asked one day about the lack of air conditioning in most long term care homes during heat waves. Um, and the Ford, I guess, loved that question. Um, he said he'd never heard about that problem before, which seems a bit odd considering how much attention was on long-term care homes at the time, um, and promised to make changes and name a bill after her. Um, but what you would have assumed if you were any Ontarian listening to that is that Ontario, all of the long-term care homes in Ontario are soon going to have air conditioning in them because the premier thinks it's so important and uh, wants to name bills after journalists just for mentioning it. However, uh, the actual truth is the PCs did, did change uh, some regulatory and design standards for new homes, so ones that aren't even built yet, requiring AC, and is going to provide whoever builds those homes with uh, some amount of funding to cover that. But basically, no change has been made to existing long-term care homes, where presumably on this August uh, afternoon that we're recording, thousands of seniors across the province are still living in homes without air conditioning. And despite Ford's, you know, bluster and, and, and telling Ontarians he's solving problems, what's actually going on behind the scenes can be very different. It's taken Doug Ford only, uh, what year is this? Only like a decade in politics to figure out that not being an asshole to reporters has its benefits. Uh, of course, the coverage was arguably quite a bit better, you know, by which I mean deeper and more skeptical when he was being an asshole. That's often how it works. So in that sense, I guess he has learned something. Learned what? Like the art of spin. <laughs> learned that being pleasant to reporters as opposed to being a dick to them and for constantly adversarial often does result in better or different coverage. Just back on the air conditioning thing, I, I want to say that, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to play that clip and, and talk about the air conditioning rules, uh, which may not be like, you know, top of mind to, to most of our listeners is that it's another example of something else Ford has been doing that's helping his popularity. Basically, like saying one thing on TV, but then doing another in legislation, which, of course, like not the first government to do that. That is something that I think lots of governments, if not all governments do, selling a bill 
as one thing and then the bill contains some less popular aspects of it or more you know controversial and perhaps impactful aspects of it that that most people never hear about but yeah but how many governments have had so many opportunities regularly and consistently to do the selling absolutely right you can sell 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 and i think the best example of that this summer has been bill 184 which changes a bunch of laws for renters and landlords Bill 184 was first introduced uh, in the legislature on Thursday, March 12th, just before, a few days before everything shut down. I mean, it was, that was all coincidental. The the bill was clearly written ahead of COVID being a major concern. No one will be kicked out uh, of their home or or their uh, rental apartments based on not being able to pay the rent. Uh, It's just not going to happen. We won't allow it to happen. Uh, We we have to make sure that we, we take care of the people. By the time Doug Ford made that promise a week later, you know, what he said was could potentially have held true. Uh, when Bill 184, not a not a great bill. It was hardly like the apocalyptic thing that, you know, was scared it was going to be when it was first introduced. It definitely tilted things in favor of landlords, but not as much as they might have by the low standards or maybe by my own cynical impressions. But then it was only at committee where they then decided to amend it and there weren't many amendments but the very specific one the most substantial one that they added was specifically to make it easier to kick out people who were unable to pay as a result of covid they added the language that basically if there's an eviction hearing uh based on you know arrears of rent rising in whole or in part during the period starting march 17th so covid ish um In determining whether to make an order, to order someone evicted, the board has to, the board shall, consider whether the landlord has attempted to negotiate with the tenant, including terms of payment for the tenant's arrears. Now, tenants are not obligated to enter into any sort of payment plan with the landlord and should be very, very careful of doing so, because if you enter into one and can't make it, then that could really count against you. If a renter can't meet the terms of a landlord's payment plan, they can be booted from their apartment without a hearing. But the fact that they went to an extent to specifically put in language that would, I mean, that has strong potential to result in the exact opposite of what Doug Ford promised, which is to say, yeah, once again, to make it easier, to expedite even, to make it much more straightforward and fast for... Uh, the landlord and tenant board to order evictions of people who could not pay rent specifically because of COVID. Housing advocates say that 6,000 people province-wide are at risk of evictions because of this. Yeah, the change in the law is frankly, in the actual way it's enacted, it's a subtle one. And for most people, it'll be extremely difficult to understand what it means, let alone understand the actual implications of it without actually, you know, having to read an article or hear something a bit that actually elaborates and explains. Whereas, you know, it's a much simpler idea to say nothing bad will happen. Trust me. And at a time when people are looking for uh, entities and individuals and leaders to trust, there there tends to be an advantage there. Right. And I have a quote here from uh, Steve Clark, who's the PC's housing minister on July 22nd. This is the day that that bill passed third reading or got royal assent, actually. He says about Bill 184, by making these changes, we're trying to keep people in their homes and at the same time helping landlords receive payment through a mutual repayment agreement. It's a better approach, especially during these difficult times. 
Uh, yeah, like all that is to say is that when the PCs talk about the bill, they claim it's good for tenants. But I guess the question is like, why are they getting away with that so easily right now? Classic neoliberal bullshit of making various cuts and making all these different changes, these little things, policy-wise, systemic-wise, budget-wise, that create the conditions in which all kinds of horrible things happen. There's more examples of the government saying one thing and doing another. I think a really important one to note is their long-term care home policy. Roughly 1,850 people, residents in Ontario, long-term care homes died of COVID. That's more than 65% of the total number in the province. The military had to be called in. They wrote these scathing, gruesome reports of the terrible conditions of these homes and amid intense public pressure, the Ford and the PCs promised to, you know, reboot the system, make it better, you know, in various sorts of ways. However, what they have decided, their, their change that they have enacted over the summer to, to tackle this ostensibly is to just make it easier for for-profit homes, home providers, though, you know, most likely the big companies, we don't know exactly who's got in the contracts yet, but to make it easier to build just more long-term care homes faster. For a lot of conservatives, if a program or an initiative or an arm of government doesn't have an immediately apparent purpose, then it is probably redundant. Whereas most of the things that are there are there for a pretty good reason, and you usually won't notice that they're not there until something goes wrong and people start dying, or, you know, as mentioned previously, our long-term care homes devolve into concentration camps for the elderly. You know, Ontario's last conservative government is a fairly high-profile example with Walkerton. I mean, that was the situation in 2000 in which almost half of a town of 5,000 people got sick with E. coli and seven died because of a number of things that led to basically problems with the water supply that were not properly caught and reported. And the reason for that, or there are a number of reasons for that, but and some people did go to jail— uh, not, but not in the government, because the government, the Mike Harris government at the time, they had taken a number of steps, including cutting the Ministry of the Environment's budget, including basically privatizing water testing, including making all of these changes that, you know, should have been and were probably were foreseeable in terms of what could go wrong. It's pretty standard disaster capitalism stuff. So has Doug Ford really changed? I would argue that... Ford's steady hand during the outset of the pandemic and his refusal to play politics with things like mask wearing are ultimately good and they should score him points with voters. Perhaps where he is right now is maybe he's closer to a neoconservative politician, as as Jonathan said, someone like Stephen Harper, who isn't known for causing chaos for the sake of chaos. He's learned that that's not how you get things done and that you can, you know, get the stuff done you actually want to legislatively while everyone still likes you if you go on TV every day and and flirt with reporters. I mean, are these good lessons? (laughs) It's hard to say. Is that politics? Maybe. Yeah, learning how to play the game is not an exceptional skill, and it's really remarkable that it took him almost 10 years to figure out basic things like, if you're not an asshole, or if you're less of an asshole, you'll probably come across better. But I think a lot of it is he had the good fortune of conditions 
changing to a point where he could actually meet them. He could deal with things in a way that is much more favorable to him. Certainly with fewer pesky questions from reporters, with fewer opportunities to dig into and investigate things, with fewer opportunities for things to leak or just go wrong, and more opportunities to get out his own message and to do so in a reasonably positive tone and with a degree of seriousness that he had just basically previously reserved for funerals, um, he has been able to, I guess, become the politician that he would that he would have liked to be. All that said, from what we have seen and what we saw time and again throughout his career, he's not great at keeping these things up indefinitely. And sooner or later, something is going to piss him off. Something will come out, something will be reported that he will not be able to hold back on. Lots of politicians know how to play the game, and there's always a moment where it stops working, right? The the public's on his side right now, but anything could happen that, that throws that way off kilter. And now our new segment, the foreseeable disaster of the coming month. Each of us will choose what will be the foreseeable disaster of the coming month, and then next month we will see which disaster was correctly and most accurately foreseen. So one thing Ontario has been doing through the pandemic that's really been grinding my gears is failing to order public health units to disclose when there is a COVID-19 outbreak at a business. So ever since March, when, you know, this all started happening, if there was an outbreak at a meat processing plant or a Walmart, the Ontario public was never hearing that directly from public health. Sometimes it would leak out in various ways, but they're just simply not telling us. And I think as we move into the fall and people are going to be doing more stuff inside, letting the public have this important information is going to become more important. And the fact they're not doing that, I think, is going to lead to COVID outbreaks. I think so. What's your foreseeable disaster of the coming month? Well, I'm going to have to go with the most obvious one because if, well, partly because if we don't mention it, people will quite reasonably ask us why not. I mean, it's the back to school stuff, the reopening. But I must say that as someone who does not have kids and probably never will have kids, I have had the privilege and luxury of not having to devote already my already stretched thin emotional energy to learning about this this and all the ways it could and quite possibly will go wrong. Uh, I do know that my my mom is a teacher at a public school and she's uh, written up a will for the first time, uh, which I mean is probably a good thing generally, but I'm but that's so far has been the extent of my personal connection to it. But I very much expect that for all of the reasons that many people who are very well versed in public health and education policy have explained at length, this will not go smoothly. Uh, I feel like it's almost cheating to, to select this because I don't know if anyone, even the government, expects it to go smoothly. But this is the foreseeable disaster of the coming month. I do not disagree. Well, I'd love to live in a world where neither of our predictions materialize, but the government should be doing every single thing it possibly can, I would say, to keep the public safe at this point, because if their whole mantra is like, get the economy going again and stay open for business so we can get rid of this massive deficit and, you know, 
get people employed again and do all the things that the conservatives want to do, then we need to not be overwhelmed by this virus. That was Wag the Doug, a show about the fluid, mercurial, ever-changing Premier Doug Ford. And about the appropriate number of peaches to offer the Toronto Star's Rob Ferguson. I'm Jonathan Goldsby, and you can find me on Twitter at Goldsby. I'm Allison Smith, and you can find me on Twitter at, at Queen's Park Today. Our producer is Demi Lolo Anime. Our managing editor is Andrea Schmidt, and our theme music is by Nathan Burley. Our podcast is listener supported. If you like what we do, support us for just five bucks a month at wagthedug.com or click on the link in the show notes. Hey, Wag listeners, it's Allison reminding you that this show cannot be made without you. If you've been thinking about becoming a Candleland supporter, we're having a pretty great sale right now. You'll get premium ad-free feeds of all Canadaland shows, discounts on merch from our store, and exclusive bonus episodes from some of our podcasts. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to become a Canadaland supporter. So from now until the end of May, we have a special offer for our listeners. For $2 a month, you can become a supporter and do your part to ensure we can continue making this show. And we really like making this show for you. Basically nothing costs $2 anymore. You could like get a bag of candy, a locker at a public swimming pool. I've been honestly trying to think of something that cheap and I'm not getting far. So sign up for just $2 a month for the next six months. Just go to canadaland.com slash join or click the link in your show notes to become a supporter today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 